tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Mac. I'm a hydroponic cucumber farmer, and I grow my crop on the outskirts of Coffs Harbour. And they're Lebanese cucumbers, not the tiny little baby ones, nor the big ones that you wrap in plastic. And they get sent to Brisbane, and uh, every Sunday morning they're jumping into boxes because Mac is talking to them. How did you get into that? Well, I'm an agronomist, and I decided my grandkids would only come and see me if I lived on the coast, so I had to leave the far west. Well, I grew up in Walgett, got relations in Burke, and that's the country I miss, but that's just what happens when, when your family's so where did you do your agronomy? Oh, in uh, Sydney Uni and worked on wheat fertilisers, did research on wheat fertilisers in the middle, the central west, yes. More importantly, Macker, I was a rower and so they, the Department of Ag let me stay in Sydney and row. You can tell I'm a pretty big bloke and I used to row at 70 kilos, I'm now 110. For 13 years I boiled myself down and tried to row for Australia, I didn't make it but that's, that's the point. For me, the value of rowing is there's no professionalism in it. You do it because you want to do it, and you'll give up anything if you're good. It's like the bloke rang me last week. His mate came down from the Territory, and he saw all these blokes doing sheep trials and stuff, and he yes. said, you blokes always seem so happy. Why is that? And he said, it's because we're not doing it for money. We're doing it for the love of the game, and, yes. and rowing's, I guess, the same. They're never going to become millionaires rowing. That's not the point. It's a great sport, and nobody is more important than the person pulling the oar in front of you and behind you. There's no one better than anybody else, including the coxswain. There's a radio show that Australians all know. If you're rich or you ain't got a cracker. They tell stories so grand of this vast timeless land and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on with it, Macca. Oh, well, good morning and welcome to the program, wherever you are. That uh, was interesting, wasn't it, last week? I spoke to Cole about his cucumbers and rowing and money and all those sort of things. It reminds me really of horse racing. Uh, the reason why we don't have stayers in Australia is because there's too much money, too much money in sprinters. So nobody's going to go out of their way. Well, not many people go to try and breed a wonderful stay to win the Melbourne Cup. And the other thing, if, uh, and that's what Bart was always saying, we don't have any, they're all, they're all, what are they called, foreign raiders come in for the Melbourne Cup. And, of course, Gay the other day, Gay Waterhouse talked about the handicap system, you know. Poor old Farlap, you know, they, he had 10 stone or something ridiculous uh, on him the first time he ran in the Cup. Paraphrasing, of course, he, he had a big weight and if he'd, and he won that cup, so he had even more the next time. But I think when Maccabi Diva won three in a row, for God's sake, I mean, we don't have handicaps anymore and that's what Australian racing was known for. Handicap racing was big here in Australia, so the vast one. So brought everybody back to the... That was the idea, wasn't it? That was the idea. But most of these raiders that come in for the Melbourne Cup, I hope you had a nice day. Um, you know, they've been winning at two miles overseas and they come in here and they've got 54 kilos or something ridiculous. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Heath, remember Heath a couple of weeks ago, he said um, he'd, he'd just bought a, um, a header and he was, he was uh, heading, heading back with his header on, on board and he said, oh, look, I've just, I'm making a change. I'm going farming. He said, I've bought a farm. And he said, uh, it's on the Darling Downs, out Aller away. He said, uh, oh, it's great out there, and I'm looking forward to it. We won't be there for about a year, but when we get there. He said, the soil's 
the soil's good enough to eat out there. <laughs> he said, well, this is from Andrew. Andrew says, uh, just a word for Heath, moving to Alra. I think uh, uh, the thing about the black soil country, it'll stick with you in the wet if you can stick with it in the dry. I'm a Warwick lad originally, says Andrew Lip. Welcome. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, from Lee Harkness, remember the days when Paul Keating used to chide us, accusing of us of spending more than we earned? We had huge current account deficits and they were driving the country deeper into debt. For more than three years now, we've been experiencing current account surpluses. That is, we've been earning more than we spend. That's not happened for nearly 50 years since 1974, says Lee. We can thank COVID for the change. It dried up foreign investment into Australia and encouraged Australians to investment invest in foreign economies that flow of those funds out of australia reduced the value of our dollar it raised our export incomes and shifted our spending from imports to australian products it caused us to export more than we imported and to produce more than we consumed the lower value of the dollar may have contributed to inflation however it has increased incomes and provided more jobs so much so that there's a shortage of workers in the country also, it means that we're now paying our own way in the world. Says Lee Harkness. Thank you, Lee. Lee's an economist. And from Brendan, do I give you the number? 1300 700 222, wherever you are. Uh, this is from <clears throat> Brendan Charles, his name is. He says, hi, Macker and Lee. Just checking to let you know the Udunda show is on today. That's Sunday the 12th. I think it's the last of the spring season country shows in South Australia before the summer break. By the way, we'll be in Melbourne um, on the 26th at a, uh, St Kilda, <clears throat> a place called O'Donnell Gardens. Um, not been there before. I've met St Kilda many times. I used to go there especially for the cakes. <laughs> the cakes. But uh, we'll be there Sunday the 26th in the park there. Come along and say good day. Love to see you. Anyway, back to Brendan. He says, my wife and I have been living in Adelaide for this year and are heading up to have a look at that show, the Adunda show today. Uh, while we've not been there before, it looks like a cracker. If we have time, I'm also hoping to continue on to visit the Sir Hubert Wilkins homestead near Hallett, which was restored in part through the assistance of uh, Dick Smith. Lastly, you made a brief mention of the great Australian cattle drive in last week's show. Well, I met Zach in the in the hotel at Grafton. He just came up. It was, you know, evening and people were gathering in a hotel as they do for in a country town to have dinner. And Zach came up and said, G'day, Macca. And uh, he'd been there too at the last great cattle drive, 1988, I think. Um, and you explained that you did a show at Newcastle Water Station as part of the 1988 bicentennial event. As a youngish teenager, says uh, Brendan, I was also part of the cattle drive event when horse riding participants were selected from pony club members around the country to take part in drives at various locations. I think mainly across Queensland and the Northern Territory. I was living in northwest Tasmania at the time, so it was a great adventure to catch the ferry to Melbourne, the bus to Adelaide and the GAN, or is it the GAN, to Alice Springs for our part of the ride. We did a loop out of Alice, east to Altunga, or thereabouts. We only drove cattle for a day or so, the rest of the week basically being a long trail ride, but it was certainly a fun and interesting way to see the country and meet another 15 to 20 kids from all over. I remember that the drive was led by an old stockman called Stumpy. We also had a vet, Hugh, another lady supervisor from Nara, and a bloke from the RAAF who drove the supply truck. 
I wonder how many others from that group are, are listening today. It's 35 years ago now, but it would be good to have a reunion. Maybe we could catch up in 2028 for 40 years and you could do another show at Newcastle Waters. Who was? It's Ken Warriner was there when I was there. That was a while ago. And Jim used to work there, didn't he, Kel, at um, Newcastle Waters? Kev at the Good Works says, uh, Brendan, is it Brendan or Ben? Anyway, she says, P.S., if we make it to the Sir Hubert Wilkins homestead in time tomorrow, I'll look for a phone box and give you a call on uh, to report on conditions. Uh, P.P.S., while I've been listening since around the time of the late 80s, I've never been able to convert the missus to a fan. But now that I have my noise-cancelling headphones, I also love that early part of the show, from 5.30 to 6 each morning, when I can put on them headphones and listen to music without waking her next door up. I think Mr. Bose may have saved a marriage or two with his invention. <laughs> did he? Did Mr. Bose invent headphones, John? You know those things. I don't know. He may well have done. Give us a ring wherever you are. 1300 700 222. Love to talk to you. Lots of things this morning. The all over news. Uh, a Melbourne Cup from another time. Um, and uh, yeah, love to talk to you. G'day, this is Macca. Hello. Oh, no, Macca. It's Ernie Somerville. Oh, g'day, hey, Ernie. Uh, yeah, good. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I just, want, just was going to tell you that the. A caller from Coonabarra Brand reminded me that um, when we were in London, my wife Helen and I um, were young doctors in our just after graduation in the 70s. We were working at uh, Hammersmith Hospital, and we had this Helen had this patient who was uh, a lovely old Irish bloke with a bit of a drinking problem. I think he was homeless, <laughs> and he had a uh, he had a heart infection, so he was in hospital for months. And he used to love listening to Helen's broad Aussie accent. He said, because it reminded him of his time in Australia. And uh, he told us that he owned some land around Coonabarabran. Mm. And he reckoned he still owned it. Um, Because what had happened is a mate was going back to Ireland. So he went down to Sydney to Circular Quay and got on the boat and had a couple of drinks with this bloke to farewell him and fell asleep. And when he woke up, the ship was out the head on its way back to Ireland. (laughs) And uh, he never went back. He never went back. <laughs> he reckoned, yeah, he reckoned he probably still owned the land there, and I he probably did. He probably, he probably see it's the drinking and the Irish, and <laughs> and you hear all these wonderful stories, and you never know really when when you you talk to somebody like that, and if you know they've had a few drinks, and they tell you these wonderful stories, you wonder at the veracity of them. Of uh, <laughs> of course. Oh no, I reckon he was fair income. I reckon he was fair income. I mean, he was in the hospital. He was he was stone cold sober when he told us this story. Oh, you know what uh, I mean, it's very, it's it's very believable. I, mean. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what happened to that. Yeah, what happened to the land? And I don't know what happened to him. I mean, he was a lovely bloke, and there were a lot of these. There were a lot of these people, you know, on the streets of London in those days. They probably still are. Yes, although it's a different uh, different time now. Is it? That was back in the sixties, was it, or seventies? Seventies, yeah, yeah, 70s. in the seventies. Yeah, look, the world's changed, hasn't it? You just scratch your head. I don't know if it's changed. It just as you get older, probably it's changed. But for young kids growing up, it's never been any different. I suppose. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, yeah. Well, I think the demographics in London have changed. Oh yes, of course. Um, and and here in Australia, everywhere really, the world's. Uh, the world's much more. Um, there's much more travel between countries now, isn't there? And people are shifting and going everywhere. So, 
Um, yeah. What you call was English anymore is doesn't exist, really, does it? No, no, no. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, anything else to report, Ernie? Oh, look, the only thing I was going to tell you, um, you should tell your listeners to use the ABC app. Mm. Uh, and if they're on the East Coast, if they send to Perth, um, you know, there's a three-hour time zone change. So if they want to listen to your show, mm. they can hear it from the beginning. You know, wake up at 8.30 and hear it from the beginning, <laughs> which is which is what I tend to do. Uh, or, you know, Adelaide's, Adelaide's half an hour behind. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you can get a little bit more sleep and not miss out on <laughs> Australia all over. Oh, we've got an early morning wake-up call now. Ernie, we can ring you at 5 o'clock um, on, <laughs> on, on Sunday mornings after a late night, of course. And, yeah, uh, that's <laughs> but no, not really. But um, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good the listen app. We're all, all yeah, the yeah, ABC listen app. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, you just you know just press on. I think you've maybe I don't know if you have to tell it where you are, but just just press on the you know ABC Perth. Yeah, and how's the medical profession going, Ernie? Uh it's good apart from the way the hospitals are run. But I might get into trouble if I <laughs> say too much about that. But geez. Well, could I suppose, be a bit better. Could be a bit better. <laughs> well, I suppose they're like every every big institution, whether it's health or whatever. You can just look at our big companies and big, you know, government departments and stuff. They're just. I mean, I think it goes with the time, Ernie, and and or maybe we're used uh-huh. to an, an easier time twenty, thirty years ago or forty years ago. Um, I don't know, but. I think it just. Well, it takes takes you know ten times as many people to run the place, and, and somehow things don't work as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right, great to talk to you. Um, anyway, yeah, nice to talk to you. I wonder who owns that block of land now. <laughs> <laughs> Might be sitting there with weeds on. I don't know. <laughs> it probably is. Probably is. Somebody in the department, someone's scratching it. Said, no, this, uh, they haven't played rates on this place for a long while. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe it reverts to, yeah, I don't know. Uh, who knows? All right. Good on you, Ernie. Great yeah, to talk to you. you. Yeah, you too. Okay, Mark's in. Good night. Good morning, Mark. G'day, mate. How are you? Good. Quickly yeah, tell me. Giving you a call from the phone box at Good Night in New South. Good on you. Are you out walking or something, are you? No, mate. No, I'm heading to work at the moment. We've got the harvest happening, so... I gotta gotta get there. I thought I'd give you a quick buzz as I drove past the phone box. What are you harvesting at the moment? Uh, barley this morning, and mm. probably for the rest of the day, and then we'll go on to some lentils, and then on to the wheat. And does it look all right? Yeah, yeah, it's a good um, good year apparently. I'm I'm just a bit of a novice at it. I I uh, lived in Tassie for 23 years and come over here and jagged the job. I'm 63 years old and I'm working on the farm up to 16 hours a day. So it's good morning from good night in a phone box. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right, mate. Beautiful morning, about 11 or 12 degrees. Going to get to 29 apparently. And uh, uh, oh, when was it? Friday it was uh, 40 degrees. That was a bit of an experience. All right, Mark, you've got to fly, mate, but lovely to talk to you, mate. Keep good on in, your things, mate. Keep in touch. Oh, I will, mate. Do, Roo. Oh, good morning, Macca. It's Ben Myers here. I hope you're having a good morning. Thanks. Uh, we're on a... Um, we're on a 50-foot traditional cray cutter this morning, hitting up the eastern side of St. Vincent Golf, bound for Port Adelaide. Tell us, what's a cray cutter? So this is a traditional old Tassie cray cutter that um, we use for catching live uh, live crayfish in the waters of sort of Tasmania and Australia and Victoria, built out of few and pine and celery top pine. Well, where'd you get hold of that? 
it's a recent purchase that my family's made. Um, we bought her in Hobart, and the voyage we've just done uh, over the last weeks from Hobart to Port Adelaide. Wow. Was that good? Oh, it's been fantastic. We've been blessed with the weather. There's been four of us on board. Um, we've been able to catch a few fish on the way and um, just enjoy the scenery of the southern Australian coastline. So this cray cutter, they used to put out pots, did they? This uh, cutter, take around, put the pots out, and then go around and collect them? Correct. And, um, and they'd go around and collect the pots, and they'd put the crayfish in a live wet well in the middle of the boat, which was open to the sea so the crays could stay alive. And, um, and this boat's been converted to a cruiser. So that area that would have traditionally been used for crayfish has been um, converted into accommodation for the crew. So how much, can I ask, does a 50-foot-old hue and pine cray cutter uh, set you back? Well, it's difficult to put a price on a vessel like this because they're sort of um, they're never built anymore. So uh, yeah, it's hard to put a price there. Priceless. Um, priceless is the best way to describe it. Correct. Yeah, I'd like to. So it's and it's got an engine in. It's not uh, a sail. Yeah, yeah. She's got an old uh, twelve liter Yanmar, naturally aspirated. Just thumps along at about fifteen hundred revs, and um, just uh, just consumes around uh, fifteen liters an hour of diesel. So Ben, why did you take it for a run from? Um, Hobart, was it? From Hobart? Yeah. So you live in Adelaide, do you? Or? So we live in Adelaide and purchased a vessel in, um, in Hobart. And, yeah, so we're bringing her home. So, what, you just went looking for this vessel, did you? It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing. You obviously look, no, look around for yeah. boats and things, do you? That's correct. i um, been looking for something like this for a long time. And when this one came on the market, um, yeah, my wife and I jumped at it. So what have you got to be aware of when you... I mean, I know Hugh and Pine's lovely pine, but... This is, did you say it's 50, uh, no, you said it was 50 foot. How old is this boat? So this is one of the last ones ever built. So this boat was actually finished in 2003. So it's actually quite modern to, oh, right. um, yeah. for this style of boat. Um, and they pretty much would never be built like this again. They can't source the timbers and even just the labour cost down would be phenomenal to build a vessel like this. Yeah, there used to be those uh, boats in uh, in the Sydney Hobart, didn't there? Was it Caprice of Hewan or something like that? Um, one of those. There was a couple of boats in the Sydney Hobart, which were Hewan Pine boats, I think. Yeah, it becomes a bit of a passion for those that are into timber boats, and it's a bit of a labour of love. I'll say. So, um, what are you going to do with the boat? You're just going to uh, uh, travel around in it, or what? Yeah, it's going to be a family boat. Um, we're planning a trip in 2025. We'll go back to Tasmania then and do a trip around Tasmania. It'll be just for pleasure and fishing. Yeah. What sort of fish did you catch on the way over? Oh, we were pretty lucky to land ourselves a fairly large tuna, um, which we filleted it up and we cryovac that up. And, and uh, we also managed to catch some whiting when we were in Kangaroo Island and some squid. Uh, I was just looking at... Um I was just looking at uh, the book I read at, uh, in high school called The Contiki and um, the amazing time they had and the things they saw when they took that raft across the, uh, across the Pacific Ocean. Um, but just the things you see when you're out at sea, you know, animal life and things, it's just amazing, isn't it? It is amazing and um, just a journey to the ocean. Yeah, you're dropping out yeah, a bit, uh, Benny. You're just uh, you're dropping out a bit. Are you walking around the deck or what are you doing? Oh, we're, we're, we're just north of Karakalinga, so I'm under the cliffs, uh, so it's not very good phone range. But, um, but, yeah, there's a lot of sea life out here. We've had dolphins with us the whole time. We've seen whales on the east coast of Tassie, um, lots of uh, albatrosses when we're crossing Bass Strait. It's been beautiful. Nice to talk to you, Ben. I'll have a look at that. Uh, where are you going to moor that boat? Where does it get moored? 
the boat will be moored in Port Adelaide. Uh-huh. All right. I'll notice it sometime if I get uh, down to the port. Good on you, Ben. Good luck, mate. Thanks, Mac. And nice to talk to you. Love your show. And, uh, yeah, have a good day. Thank you. Hi, Macca. It's Samantha. Hi, Samantha. We're uh, travelling down from Queensland and we've been to Kiama and at the minute we're in Pitt Town. All right, I know Pitt Town. What are you, mm. what are you just on holiday, Samantha? Are you yeah, or? we bought a new van, so we just wanted to travel down. I have family down in Kiama and family um, out at Earlwood, so we've been to visit them and we went up to Katoomba yesterday. Um, I often listen to you on the, the radio Sunday morning. My, my husband sort of got me into listening to you. His dad used to listen to you. And, and every morning I go, oh, we can listen to Macca. And I said, I'm going to ring Macca one day. And, and here I am. And, and then I also heard you speaking about uh, people, older people being lonely and, and people wanting to do more things with, with older people. I, I work in an aged care facility. Um, I'm a diversional therapist. And that's what I do for a job every day. I make people's lives better. Diversional meaning you give them, change their focus in life, I suppose. Is that... Ab- absolutely. I'm, I'm, I guess you could, could say the new word today is the activities officer. <laughs> and I drive a 10-seater bus and I take them out for picnics and, um, you know, we go shopping and I, I organise dances in the home of an evening and the bands that come in and sing and I... I get to to make their last stages of their life so much better, and it's a fabulous feeling, and I love my job. And that's well, that's one of, and there's more of it needed, uh, Samantha, isn't there? Because we're all getting older all the time, and I suppose we'll end up in nursing homes. And in some ways, it's probably a better place to be because if there's people like you there, it's probably better than sitting at home. Although we love our homes, but it's probably better than sitting at home if you've got somebody who can take your mind off your the uh you know absolutely the... someone silly like me who every now and then i <laughs> i burst out into song and dance i've got tap shoes i put my tap shoes on i flip around the nursing home in my residence actually while i've been away when i get back oh sam we're so glad you're back uh-huh. so it's it's yeah that that makes my heart sing so yeah well, it's wonderful. I don't. Are there many people like that uh, employed at uh, nursing homes? Um, um, there's only probably at the maximum they probably only have two. There needs to be more because there obviously there are people that can't get out of their bed every day. That they are in what's called uh, palliative chairs, and um, we need more people like me that can go into the rooms to speak to those people during the day. I I, ha- I am. I have volunteers. I have about 10 volunteers and they, I can't do my job without my volunteers and my volunteers are fabulous people as well. They, yeah, they need to be commended as well. (laughs) You're Um, a little, you're a little positive soul, Samantha. How did you uh, end up as a diversional therapist, do you reckon? Did you uh, um, aim for that or was it just happenstance? It, that sort of, I sort of fell into that. I was an assistant in nursing for eight years in the nursing home that I work in. I've been in the same home for 18 years. Um, and my my boss just said to me, Sam, I think you could fill in for the diversional therapy girl while she's on holiday. And when I did it, she said, oh, she said, that's your thing. You need to be the, the girl. And See, I just fell into it. Yeah, yeah. That's what people say and have said to me that, you, you sometimes you don't always in life, but when you pop into a job and you know you like it and it's good for you and 
Um, that's that's the deal. You're very lucky if you can get something that you really, and you obviously love it, Sam. So. I do, and I can go to work dressed up. I've gone as Oktoberfest. <laughs> I've I've gone as a witch. You know, when it's Halloween, I yeah, I love well, it. Um, my my husband just said to yeah. me, "You're mad." Yeah, producer here, Kel. She comes dressed up every. Uh, you never know what she'll be. Some morning she's a ballerina. Next minute she's a clown. She purple hair. It's unbelievable, but we it is, love it. And that's fun. It is, and that's exactly right. That's fun. Well, thank you for letting me speak with you today. Samantha, it's lovely. Whereabouts in uh, Queensland do you live? Uh, Caloundra on the Sunshine oh, Coast. Oh, what a lovely beach. What a lovely place. I've Absolutely. got friends in Caloundra. Good on you, Sam. Thanks for ringing. It's lovely to talk thank to you. Thank you, Macca. Keep Bye. in touch. <laughs> This is the All Over News. How'd you go in the cup? Okay. Just a great Australian day, don't you reckon, where people get together and talk to one another. And that's really important when you look around the world, when you look around, and even when you look around Australia. From Lynn Silver, who's our military correspondent, if you like, and it's called the Prisoners of War Melbourne Cup. A thousand Australians transferred to Tavoy in Burma in 1942 were behind barbed wire on the first Tuesday in November, Melbourne Cup Day, possibly the second most important day in Australia after Anzac Day, and I agree with that too. Realising that Cup Day was not too far off, the Australian senior officer approached the Japanese to ask if the prisoners could celebrate the occasion. The Japanese commandant not only granted the request but declared that everyone should have a yasumi, or holiday. On receipt of this welcome and rather unexpected news, the Tovoy Prison of War Turf Club was up and running. The prisoners had no contact with the outside world. Back home, as part of an austerity campaign to conserve resources for war purposes, all midweek races were banned, and as a result, the austerity Melbourne Cup was to be held on Saturday the 21st of November. Unaware of this, the POW's plans at Tavoy forged ahead for Tuesday the 3rd. As the horses were actually the prisoners of war, their jockeys had to be light enough to ride on the backs of their mates, piggyback style. Form was taken into consideration and handicaps applied. Training soon began for the big day. Silks were made from coloured scarves and an official race caller appointed. A school soccer field was turned into a racetrack with the addition of a starting barrier and white posts and railings and a Japanese sergeant donated a trophy a small two-handled brass cup mounted on a highly polished coconut shell. Cup fever took hold, with fees collected for entries and bookies taking bets in occupation currency for the affluent and locally made cheroots for the less so on a field of 36 starters for the main event. However, due to illness of some of the horses and jockeys and the obvious fitness and superiority of one of the front runners, Sweet Potato, actually Private Wilford Whiff Muir, an outstanding Aussie rules player, there were quite a few scratchings, reducing the field to 21 and the distance to about 70 metres. Back home in Melbourne, it poured with rain on Austerity Cup Day, reducing the crowd to a mere 35,000 punters. But in Tavoy, the weather couldn't have been better for the running of their Melbourne Cup. Brilliant sunshine, a slight breeze, everyone, including the Japanese, entered into the spirit of the event. Keeping with the tradition of fashions in the field, the ladies were dressed in an array of finery they'd scrounged from goodness knows where. As some of the racegoers were female, latrines were marked accordingly. Another latrine was converted into a judge's box. The trophies for all the races were displayed on a table and stalls set up. 
The POWs masquerading as native women selling chapatis and coffee made from ground scorched rice. With such a large crowd, the course constabulary were kept occupied preventing any nobbling. There were seven races on the card, so it was also a busy day for the bookmakers. When 3pm approached, the band struck up God Save the King and the POWs joined in lustily, finishing their rendition with a huge roar of approval. Escorted by a posse of mounted police, the Governor-General, the Australian CO, accompanied by his wife, entered the field on a brightly decorated bullock cart pulled by six brawny human horses to take their place in the royal box. Joining them was the patron, the Japanese sergeant, who also arrived in a horse-drawn cart with a lieutenant from Japanese HQ and a suitable escort. As the band members didn't know the Japanese anthem, they played Auld Lang Syne instead. As the grand parade of 21 horses and jockeys passed the royal box prior to the big race, there was a commotion when one of the POWs shot from the crowd and stole the Melbourne Cup. Tackled by the constabulary, he broke free but was soon recaptured and arrested. With final bets taken, including those from the very enthusiastic Japanese punters who were encouraged to back horses that had little chance of winning, the starter... Sounds very Australian, doesn't it? The starter ordered the entrance to line up and they were off. The race caller had the crowd on its toes with his superb description of the race. First across the line and ahead by two metres was the favourite, Sweet Potato. His Excellency presented the cup to the owner of the winning horse and a bamboo and coconut shell whipped to the jockey. The race meeting ended with a mock trial of another owner, trainer and jockey for failing to allow their well-favoured horse to run on its merits. The day didn't end there. That night in the school hall there was a cup ball. After the matron had presented her debutantes to Her Excellency, the vice-regal couple led the opening waltz as the band played Blue Danube. The sergeant was unable to attend, but two young Japanese wireless operators, aged about 18, came along. One, after some persuasion, overcame his embarrassment to dance with one of the 15 ladies present. After the Governor-General delivered a witty speech and donated the proceeds of the race day to the POW Hospital Fund, the evening ended with a thousand voices singing Auld Lang Syne with tremendous enthusiasm. Then, led by the band, everyone stood and sang God Save the King. The actual cup, standing about 10 centimetres tall, was created from scrap brass by a Dutch jeweller and prisoner of war who had inscribed one side with Tavoy POW Race Club, Melbourne Cup 1942. The names of the winner, owner, jockey and trainer were added later to the other side. However, to prevent its confiscation by Japanese guards, before the Australians left Tavoy, the cup was buried in a POW grave at the cemetery. It was recovered from the grave in 45-46 and returned to Australia, where it was given to Wilfred Muir, also known as Sweet Potato. It's still in the possession of the Muir family. Contrary to popular belief, the Tavoy event was not the only Melbourne Cup race held anywhere in the world on that first Tuesday in November in 1942. Another was organised thousands of kilometres away at Sandarkan, prisoner of war camp in British North Borneo, where the jockeyless horses advanced in lanes along a series of squares using playing cards to determine each horse's progress. However, it was a very lame affair compared to Tavoy, and since the rank and file were out toiling on airfield construction, it was strictly an officers-only event held in secret between two of the officers' huts. The improvised trophy was fashioned from an empty bully beef tin secured by nails to a wooden stem set into a roughly hewn octagonal base with two galvanised handles joining the cup to the plinth. When the officers were moved from Sandarkan to another camp in Kuching, the cup went with them. Conditions there were such that they held follow-up races in 43 and 44. The trophy 
now forms part of the collection at the Australian War Memorial. From our correspondent Lynn Silver, and that account appears in her book called At War With My Father. G'day Macca, this is Ryan from Berwick in Victoria. Uh, hope you're keeping well. Love your show on Sunday mornings. Been a part of my life now for many years, enjoying the stories of a real organic version of what's going on in our country. I have a poem I wrote in 2018 for the 100th anniversary of the end of the Great War. I'm not a religious person, but the people who served us in war are real gods to me. I think of them often, and we owe them everything. And this is the poem. It's called November Flower. Walk the streets to greet a hero. Sadly, they're all gone. Thankfully, we remember them what is now a century on. On the hearts of proud descendants, the Flanders poppy blooms to mark a time in our past when supermen wore green. A minute is what we give them, a moment's silence to digest. The blood, the fear, the screaming, too much sacrifice. A fearful knock on a mother's door, a broken branch on the family tree. Resting peacefully at their last post, they died for you and me. War is the devil's playground. Our shadows teach us what to be. Their gift is in our children's eyes. Freedom is not free. AJ's AJ is in a phone box in Cancobin. Is that right, AJ? Yeah, this is AJ. Uh, yeah, we're calling you from a phone box in Cancobin. Um, we're just out for an early morning walk. It's very, very quiet here, and this is the first time we're calling you. We've been listening to you for um, a few years now. I kind of accidentally discovered you one day when I was gardening, and um, ever <laughs> since then we've um, we, yeah we've been listening to you. And this is the first time in um, uh, Ken Corbin. Uh, we're visiting um, uh, my son. He's been he's working for Snowy Hydro here. He's been working for three years now. He started as a graduate and. Uh, so we're visiting him. It's the first time we've 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 been here in this area. It's a beautiful area, snowy, Monaro area, and uh, yeah. Well, we've got a lot in common, AJ, you and I, because you're a gardener and I'm a gardener. I love the garden. Um, um, I try hard, and there's always lots to do in the garden. A thing of beauty is a job forever. That's what my sister says yeah. about gardening. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 gardening will uh, sort out any problems that you have. Um, Basically, you go out in the garden and you talk to the plants, and it's, it's, they'll they'll sort you out. Yeah, it's basi- it's basically diversion therapy. That's what it is. It is, <laughs> it is. Um, tell, tell me, yeah, yours. my my son's been uh, a great ambassador for us here. He's been taking us around, uh, you know, Snowy Hydro headquarters and the the the, the dam and uh, the power station and everywhere. And um, yeah, it's it's been absolutely fantastic, and it's a beautiful morning this morning here. Um, my wife just wants to have a very quick word. Yeah, right. Um, uh, yeah, so we're actually over from Perth, uh, Western Australia, so I'll, I'll give it to her if, or, if that's okay. Yeah, that's okay, AJ. I just wonder, where, where are you from originally, AJ? Uh, so originally we were born and brought up in Kenya. Uh-huh. Uh, 21 years ago we migrated to Australia, um, and um, yeah, here we are now. So, well, great to talk to you. Yeah, put the put the wife on. What's her name? Uh, Divya. I'll, I'll just Divya. put her on. Good on you. Thank you. How about these kids? Maka. Hi, Divya. How are you? Uh, very well, Maka. Maka, you know what? No. We came into Australia 21 years ago, uh-huh. as I just said, from Kenya. 
And if there's one person who has made us get a caravan, <laughs> it is you, Mecca. Oh, come on. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm hand on heart. I'm telling you, we, like Ajay said, he introduced me to you. And then I, um, we listened to and people calling from all over. And what I was saying to Ajay, you know, like when we go and we have got a caravan, we haven't yet uh, ventured on our around Australia trip. Uh, we hope to do that sometime next year. But I said to him, I do not want to go to the main big, big towns. I want to go to all the places that people have been calling off from Australia. There's beautiful 500 strong places just with, you know, beautiful landscapes and, and stuff like that. And I'm telling you, having come to this, uh, well, Kuma is where my son stayed, uh, stays, has been staying. And then we went to Jindabyne and now in Kankoban, he's been taking us around. And as Ajay said, we went to Snowy Hydro. He gave us a detailed tour of this mighty, mighty, mighty Snowy Hydro scheme and how everything works and the Snowy 2.0 and, oh, my God, oh, my God. I mean, it's, you know, you know people talk about, uh, oh, you know, times before the computers, life was so good, life was so simple and the setting. <laughs> but uh, look, with all this advancement, I mean, what have they achieved? It's been amazing. Yeah, well, it was all, all started in, in the 50s, really. It was all started in the 50s when people all over the world came and, those lakes down there, they're beautiful things, aren't they, really, when you look at them? and uh, Yeah, I, I don't know if your uh, listeners are aware, but there's a three-part documentary on SBS that happened about a month ago, and it's on SBS On Demand, and it talks about the whole uh, the conceptualization and how the people after the World War came from Europe and the camaraderie and the hard work and all that. There's a wonderful, wonderful three-part series on SBS Demand. It's called uh, The Story of Snowy Hydro or something like that. So it's amazing. Uh, well, I haven't, I haven't seen it. Uh, um, please do, please do. And if you, you see a, a young uh, Indian kid talking in the first part and the third part, that's our son. All right, okay. And uh, the phone box there is working, obviously, in Cancoven. Yes, yeah, yes, it is. Very nice. Yeah, when, when we, I, we suddenly got this idea, oh, let's call Maka from Cancoven. And yeah, Ajita exactly. said, I see a phone booth there, and he loved that. So we came to the phone booth. <laughs> I'll send you a T-shirt. I'll send you a T-shirt. You stay there, and I'll send you a T-shirt, um, and you can wear it with pride. It's got a lovely phone box on the front of our, our, our um, little program T-shirt. So I'll send you so one. So where will you send it? Well, I'll put you back to the studio, and and we can we can ring you, or you can give uh, Leah our uh, an address. Okay, you just sure. hold there. Okay, sure, sure. All right, Divya, right. nice to talk to you, and and thank you, and uh, AJ too, and lovely call. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Maka. In fact, yesterday, if I can just add, we uh, when we're coming to Cancoban, we're driving to Cancoban, we stopped by uh, 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 viewport, viewpoint, and there was this. Uh, uh, where was he from? Uh, Hungary. There was a guy from Hungary, uh, and uh, you know, elderly man, mm. and he was on his three wheeler, and and he says that's the life that he leads, and um, he was just sat there having um, having his meal, evening meal, and he was going to camp, put a tent and camp there, mm. and then next morning he was going to uh, ride to Cancoban, and uh, we said to him, uh, you know, and, and he said that he had actually gone from Perth to. Uh, New South Wales on on the road with his bike, and I said, "How come we never heard about you from on Mecca in the morning?" And he said, uh, "What? 
what? And I said, have you never heard of Mecca in the morning? And he said, no, Lots I of, haven't. Oh. And I said, uh, well, gosh, maybe it's 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock. <laughs> maybe he'll ring sometime. Maybe he'll yeah. ring on yeah. the road. Or maybe I'll bump into him. Yeah. <laughs> great, great to talk to you, Divya. Good idea. Great idea. to talk to you. Bye. You. Bye. <laughs> Les is in Bath this morning, Les. Oh, good morning, Becca. How you going? Oh, pretty good, thanks. Where Where are you, Les? Bathurst. Yeah. Yeah. Cool there? Ah, uh, lovely. Really lovely day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little bit of breeze. Sun's out. Yeah, all good. That's the way. All right. What's uh, What's happening, Les? Oh, I want to go to the show at Richmond, mm-hmm. and I want to know the date so I can book a motel room. Oh, right. Um, it's the 18th. 18th of uh, December, just before Christmas, the week before the week before Christmas. Christmas is on a Monday this year, isn't it? Is yeah. It, is it Monday or Sunday? Yeah, Monday. It's, it's a, yeah, Monday. It's the twenty. That's the twenty fifth. But we're, I'm there at the School of Arts on the eighteenth. Eighteenth. Yep. Well, uh, I can book a room and I'll get there. All right. Good on you, mate. Lovely. Look forward and, to seeing uh, you. Um, yesterday, I went out to the bridal trail because that was. Uh, closed for a few years. What's tell Australians uh, all over what the bridal trail is? It's from Bathurst to Hill End, and it runs along the Turon River. And there's so many campers there yesterday, I couldn't believe it. It was just a lovely drive. Yeah. So and why, why do they call it the bridal trail? I've got no idea. I suppose someone got married there in the old days. <laughs> <laughs> The bridal trail, all right. Yeah, okay, all right. And lot, lots of people out camping, eh? Yeah, yeah, it was um, just a fantastic day, yeah. All right, Les, you can tell us more at the concert. Good on you. See you, Maka. And thank you for putting me through. Thanks, matey. When I was in uh, Perth the other day, I met a beer. He was in a, what you call a convenience store, but I had a yarn to him. Interesting fella, interesting story, probably... Um, a more common story in Australia now than than it has been, but a beer comes from well. Come and say hello to a beer. I'm in Perth and I'm talking to our beer. Our beer's in a convenience store. How are you, our beer? Nice to meet you. I'm good, sir. How are you? When did you come to Australia? Where are you from? So it was eight years back. I'm from Bangladesh, and then I initially when I came, I moved to Sydney. And then I was studying there. I finished my accounting course. Now I'm doing masters here in engineering. And I'm almost done, so I'm hoping for some, you know, like good mining job. That's the reason I moved to Perth. And why did you come to Australia, do you think? The same reason as everyone, a better lifestyle and then I would say better education. That was the main goal. And I love this country, like I don't know why. But it's very clean, nice. I love the air. The country I'm from, it's so like, there's very high intensity of population. And then the pollution is so bad, like I feel the air is so natural and... It's beautiful. Australia is beautiful. And whereabouts in Perth are you living? Uh, I live in Maylands, just beside the Swan River, and it's, I would say, like the view of the Optus and everything is pretty nice. So you've done accounting and you're doing engineering now? So I'm doing engineering in ECU, and I'm just in my last semester, and hopefully, I hope to get a better job in the mining sites, and then let's see what makes a big difference in my life. Have you got family here? I did meet a girl when I came to Sydney and then after that, yeah, we are together now. So I did uh, get married to her last year 
So now, yeah, you can say I have a family here. Well, that's good. That's good. What sort of things will you do in engineering? So I'm doing mechanical engineering, but I'm mostly interested in doing the machinery parts in the mining sites. So it's like digging and then the tractors, everything, whatever is there, the tractors. I'm just interested in machineries. That's my main motive to go in engineering. Do you go back to Bangladesh much? I haven't been to Bangladesh. Maybe I just went five years back and then COVID hit and there was no way out. Abhis, great to talk to you and good luck with your wish to work in the mining industry. There's lots of jobs, but let's hope it transpires for you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Kim's in Christchurch. Morning, Kim. Oh, hi, Matter. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. You're listening in Christchurch, are you? I am. We live in Christchurch. We're about 20 minutes out of town, but we are right in the rural area. How how is that, living in a place where it's 20 minutes from the city to be out in the farmland? Fantastic. Fantastic. There are foals foals in the paddocks at the moment, just full of baby foals. The peony farm is in full bloom, so I can get peonies at the farm gate. It's a magnificent day in Christchurch. We don't get them very often. Uh, and you um, and you can listen to us. You listen to us online there, do you? I do. I listen to it actually through this trusty gadget that a teenager has and doesn't want called Alexa. And I just ask her to play Macca on ABC. There you go. And as the bloke rang up earlier this morning, he says you can go on the uh, the ABC Listen app and you can listen to Perth, so he doesn't have to get up at five thirty. You can get up at eight thirty and listen to the. <laughs> Listen to, listen to the program from 8.30 till, nine, till 1 o'clock in the morning, in the, the afternoon. How good's that? And, I know. Isn't it good? And we're miles ahead of you. It's, it'll be almost lunchtime in a minute. <laughs> I'm coming for lunch. Oh, we should come over to Christchurch. I'd love to come and do a program there. Can we do a program at your place? Oh, that'd be great in the backyard, as long as it's not a windy day. What? We swing between gale force nor'easters, and if it's not a nor'easter, it's a gale force nor'easter. So today we're making the most of it. Doors are flung wide open. So it's get nice and calm today, is it? It is. It's just beautiful. There are days, as an Australian living in New Zealand, I, I, I pine for the warm weather. 25 degrees today is a heat wave for locals. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't pine for the hot weather. I can't stand the hot weather. Um, I mean, I like, yeah, you know, there's a happy medium, isn't there? But, um, oh, absolutely. So it's perfect, yeah. yeah. Really lovely. So, well, it sounds lovely, and we should. We we went to New Zealand for Anzac Day about oh, I don't know, fifteen years ago, and that was lovely. Uh, at the uh, at the in Auckland at the uh, War Memorial Museum, there we we did the program. Oh there. yes, but uh, you if, need to come to the South Island, though it's vastly different to the North. I call it the land of milk and honey. All right, okay, that's a that's a plan. Can we go there next year, Kel, to Christchurch? Yeah, she's nodding her head. Yeah. All right. And and maybe the week before you come, there'll be a bit of snow dump because we can often get snow in summertime. So then the Alps will have snow on them, and yet we can be sitting at the beach looking at the Alps. Well, you've got it all there, Kim. Oh no, it's too good to be true, really. <laughs> but still, it's great to listen to you guys because it just makes me feel like I'm back home as well. Well, where was home? Oh well, home was all over Australia. Listen to that. Um, For me, I was a girl, I was born and grew up on an island in New Guinea, actually. And then um, my family shipped back to Australia. I went to high school in Darwin. And um, then the bright lights of the East Coast got me. So I headed to the Gold Coast and attempted to go to university there. And that depended whether the car would start or not. And if it didn't start, we went to the beach instead. (laughs) And then um, down to Sydney, into Melbourne, and then all over. I flew for ANSET for many years um, as a young person so mm. then I literally ended up 
in all sorts of places. Well, Kim, I can tell you, you've picked up a little li- lemon and six. Um, Everybody in, in... says that. Yet, <laughs> yeah, you've picked a little bit, of, but no, I can still, I can still hear the little Aussie shining through. Can hear you? the yeah, and the Kiwis here, they can pick me a mile off. Apparently, <laughs> Kim, it's great to talk to you. I'll see you in Christchurch. You too. Great. Oh, Look right. forward to it. Oh, it's Bushy. Hello, Bushy. Yeah, good morning, Maka. How you going, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, Bushy. I'm sorry about the reception in the city. She's pretty ordinary down here. Uh-huh. I'm in Melbourne at the moment. Right. Um, I phoned you twice in the last 30 years. <clears throat> I just wanted to thank you. Because um, I've usually phoned you from up in the Midwest to Queensland. I'm a professional shooter up and trapper up there. Mm. And the reception up there is a lot better than the city, and I don't work that out. Well, but, my, um, what yeah. I've got to say is mm. I'm saving my pennies because <clears throat> I want to catch a taxi to come and see you in St Kilda and just shake your hand. All right. And then, uh, O'Donnell Gardens on the 26th. Yeah, well, I'll catch a taxi because I can't drive in the city. I don't. It's too much for me. Yeah, well, it's but, a... uh, I just wanted to thank you, shake your hand. You've kept me um, going for well, probably over thirty years, I guess. Well, that's and, nice. Um, yeah, I, I never miss a show, and you enlighten me. And the guests you have are wonderful, and the people that phone in are great. I love this multiculturalism. I think it's wonderful for the country and. You really put a spark on people's eyes, you know. It's a wonderful well, show. Well, you come, you come along to a, <coughs> a Donald Gardens, I think it's called. Um, it, well, it is called that. Uh, yeah, terrific, Maka. As I said, uh, I'm going to catch a taxi. I simply all I want to do is shake your hand. Thank you very much. You know, you've been um, a wonderful, wonderful person well, to listen to on a Sunday. Well, Bushy, you can tell around us around the campfire, and it's all right. Great. Well, you can tell us that on uh, on the twenty sixth. Come and have a yarn and meet some people and have a yarn. They'll have like to have a talk to you too, I suppose. That'll nice. be wonderful. All right. Thank you very much for your show, buddy. Uh, but you've been a champion. Thank you. Thanks, Bushy. Good on you, mate. See you. See you, bud. see you on the twenty sixth. Okay, dokie. This is Diana here. Oh, hello, Diana. I'm in Innisfail, and uh-huh. I was very upset that you didn't know anything about Art Deco. Why would you be upset? I didn't do art at school. Who did art at school? We did. We did <laughs> chemistry and physics, and and and. It's not uh, about being at school, Maker. It's about knowing Innisfail, the Art Deco capital of Australia. Oh, really? Is it? Well, tell us all about it. What What is Art? De- what What's significant, or what uh, signifies Art Deco? How do you know it's Art Deco when you look at it? Uh, if I can just uh, tell you, Art Deco is the 1920s that originated in Paris. Uh-huh. And that's we're indebted to the 1920s of Paris. And the reason why Innisfail has become the Art Deco capital of Australia is because Innisfail was virtually destroyed by a cyclone in 1918. And so it was rebuilt in the 1920s and fortunately was rebuilt in the Art Deco style. So it's a very distinctive style of architecture. Mm. It involves arches to a great extent, and curves, um, curves, lots of curves. Yes, very mm. much so. And uh, the colours too are quite distinctive. So there's quite strong colours in Art Deco. So here in Innisfail, we have an Art Deco festival, and uh, you will have to be here next year for it. I think. What time of year is that, uh, Di? 
We've just recently had it. So uh, I think it was probably in August. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, and um, the ladies all get dressed up. We have wonderful uh, street displays. All the shops get involved. And um, music and uh, fashion, but it's all based on the fact that Innisfail is built in the Art Deco style. And what do they call the style now that besets our cities and our suburbs? It's not Art Deco. What is it? Postmodernism or some? Oh, I don't know. What the design of houses and buildings now? I mean, where would... It's plain and ordinary. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. And how is it uh, in Innisfail... Uh, now, die getting warm, a bit of rain around, no? Perfect. Yep. My temperature for the day is 18 to 28, and we have it hovering around that all the time. I think today is going to be 21 to 31. Look, I'm sorry I didn't know anything about Art Deco, really. My sister would be appalled. She said I'm a, she says I'm a Philistine, an art Philistine, and I'm trying to rectify that, die With calls like you, um, I can only improve. Thank you very much, Macca. That'll be good. We'll look forward to seeing you here in Innisfail one day. Next August. We're there. All right? Sounds fantastic, Macca. We'll be in touch. Good on you. Bye. Hi, Macca. It's Jackie. How are you? Good, thanks, Jackie. Um, I'm just ringing in. We're sitting in the tinny at the moment out in the ocean at Cape Upstart. I don't know if you know where that is. It's about 100k south of Townsville. It's 100k. So we're having a fish. I've been, pa- been... I've, I've been past Cape Upstart. I've seen it. Yep. Go, what are you doing in the tinny out there? Oh, we're just wrapping up our holiday. So this is the last week of our holiday. We've been travelling around Queensland and Northern Territory and we're close back to home now. So we thought we'd spend a bit of time in God's country and hang out here for a while, do a bit of fishing. And That's I'm telling your it. assistant, we've been listening to you because while we've been travelling up through... Kakadu and Litchfield National Park, we haven't had much service, so I've been downloading your podcast when we get service and then playing them back to back for hours, and I was never a huge fan. My partner was, listens to you every Sunday, and now look at me, I listen to you every Sunday and listen to your podcast, so there you go. Well, there you go. Well, they're always interesting, Jackie, usually. Um, well, they are. There's people from all over the joint, and yep. um, and. It's uh, it's never boring. Um, if it's boring, it's usually me. It's not the people. They're all from all... And they've got great voices, Jackie. I love the voices. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, and they say things like hooroo and cheerio and... Uh, I don't know. It's just... It's just like uh, you're in your local suburb or wherever, yeah. your local it's town. Very Pe- Australian, yeah. yeah. It's how we speak. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So uh, you're in the... T- how far off the coast are you? Um, well, we're inshore. It's a bit windy here today, so we haven't gone out around the front of the Capes, and we've only got a small tinny, like a 4.3, so we're sort of in, a, in one of the beautiful little sandy bays, not catching any fish, but that doesn't matter. It's all about being out on the water in the sun. And where do, where do you live, Jackie, in Townsville, do you? Or? Just in Townsville, yeah, so we're just wrapping up our holiday, so we're close to home and just having a bit of R&R over here for a few, for a week. And how long have you lived in? I like Townsville. I, I reckon um, it's my favourite. Probably about 10 years, originally mm. from Bundaberg. Mm. So and you, and moved you, there to be closer to the family. Yeah, right. And how's Townsville doing? Yeah, pretty good. Dry at the moment. But, yeah, it's. I think as a town, it's going very well. There you go. Um, and your husband's name is? Craig. Craig, all right, and, and he's a massive fan. And you're 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 a fan of the podcast. 
Well, I'm a new fan because he's always listened to you and now I've started listening and become a fan. So he got me hooked on the Macca podcast, yes. Well, it's nice. We've had calls this morning from all over and you do every – and it just keeps – you get sort of news, you know, it's not – that it's sort of news that you think you should know but you never hear, you know, like people are doing things like um, their local RSL or they've got a key apps reunion in... uh, in, in... Well, Townsville's a very big garrison city so we have a lot to do with like RSLs and that where we've got, you know, a massive army base here and, yeah. Well, it's nice to know, Jackie, that after a little while, just took a few years, but... After a little, you're a listener, and and thanks thanks for your call because Jackie, the program is about the Jackies of Australia, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, it's uh, and they're out doing things. They're out uh, this morning. They might be uh, doing boating lessons, or they might be a diversional therapist, or they might be on a cray cutter. They've just bought in Tassie and they're sailing to Adelaide, or they might be in Tullybuck. Um, and or they might be, uh, you know, in uh, in London, or they could be in Thailand, or they could be telling me about the meaning of the word on tenterhooks, or um, Kiabs reunion, or you know, a confrontation with a brown snake, uh, all sorts of things, or what's going on in Parliament House, or all those sort of things. It's, it's yeah. I love it, Jackie. Well, we've been listening all morning, so we've caught up on what's happening. So it's great. Good on you. I'll see you in Townsville sometime. I, okay. Next uh, next winter, I might come up there. We we did a program about three years ago. No, five years ago, probably. Uh, on the on down on the uh, boulevard down there. You know, on the yeah, um, the strand. The strand, yeah. fantastic. Love it. People people skating and running and walking along there. Never ending uh, group of people to talk to. I love Townsville. Love it. All right. Thanks, Marco. Thank you, Jackie. Good on you. This is from Jan. Jan says, we live in a small rural locality in South Gippsland in Victoria. There are about half, this could be you, there are about half a dozen properties along our road, varying in size from one hectare to over 40. Most of us have vegetable gardens and all of us have flowers and trees. We have been there for over 40 years and as long as I can remember, there's been a hive of bees living in a gum tree on our road reserve. They have survived through all weathers, seasons and challenges, including bushfires in 2009. Someone has decided that they should have the bees and have set up some sort of contraption over the hive opening over the hive opening to entrap them. Why they think they should have the bees is disappointing and most upsetting, to say the least. The bees have been part of our community that we all benefit from and are an essential component of a balanced ecosystem. I'm contacting you, says Jan, to ask if native, as in local to our area, bees can be taken from their environment. What gives someone the right to presume that these bees are theirs for the taking? And more importantly, what effects will this have on our gardens, the vegetables, flowers, trees and our surroundings? Perhaps your listeners may have an answer or two, says Jan. Jan, I don't know. I don't know the answer to any of those questions, but people just often think they have the right to do anything, don't they? Um, it's the world we live in. Jan, if somebody comes up with a... Hmm, I don't know. Sometimes people catch, if there's a, if there's a beehive causing a disturbance or something, they'll, they'll get someone to come and take the bees away, but obviously your bees aren't causing a disturbance. Lots of lovely emails here. Macatracks at gmail.com, or you can... There's another email you can try there. But um, all sorts of things. Uh, Lynn Silver says a couple of things. 
Uh, Lynn Silver Rhodes, if you've just woken up, I'll try and replay it in the... Um, we put that on the podcast, Kel? Yes, we will put it on the podcast. And our number this morning, 1300-700-222. You can try 028-333-1020 as well. Uh, but uh, Lynn had a story about the... Um, the Melbourne Cup, uh, Burma style, during the Second World War in '42, I think it was. She said, "Just listening to my favourite because at the end of it, I played the um, rendition of the Last Post. It never fails to reduce my Sandakan travellers to tears. Very haunting to hear it in the silence of an old camp, as the scent of the gum leaves we burns drift in the heavy tropical air. A little bit of Aussie and Borneo." And I mentioned, too, from a book I had, which was printed in 1995, about two-minute silence, because mostly it's one-minute silence. Now, Lynn says, Edward Honey's first suggestion, he was a journalist, for the 11th of the 11th, Armistice Day and now Remembrance Day, was five minutes. He stated, it's only five minutes, but it was reduced to two, which is what we had when I was at school, says Lynn, and now I think it's one. And as we burn through life in another 50 years. It'll probably be 30 seconds, and if it's anything at all, if you know what I mean. mean. Uh, Lynny, thanks you. Lynn also said, where's Lynn's other little thing about the... Well, I'll keep going. Anyway, um, model car racing at Whalen in New South Wales. You know where Whalen is, Kel, don't you? You, you know, yeah, you've been to Whalen. Whalen for waiting a while. Um Hi from international composer Kenny Davis. He says, my nephew is Adelaide model car racing champion and is racing today for all model racing enthusiasts from 11am at Whalen. Whereabouts I wonder at Whalen it is. But anyway, you'll find it. You'll find it. Come online. I wish to draw Macca's attention, says Veronica Thomas, that my beautiful grandson Alexander played the last post at the Avalon RSL. He's 12 years old. He was invited to the RSL lunch and was sitting next to a past member of Parliament, Bronwyn Bishop. It was beautiful to see the respect he received from all RSL members in gratification of an outstanding rendition of the last post in Reveille. That's a nice little story too. I've got some... These ones I wanted... So many... Uh, speaking of... Um, Jeff Schmucker says there's a great white meaning Great White Shark, international conference starting on Monday in Port Lincoln, runs for five days, 170 participants from all around the world um, and all around the country, scientists and government bodies, information sharing and moving forward with Great great White Mitigation. What's Great White Mitigation mean, Kel? Does that mean hmm, make your own arrangements? And Lynn Silver says, and also I had a... uh, a text here on my little phone from somebody, but I'll read Lynn's first. Um, Ian, the bridal, tra- the bridal track or the bridal trail is in bridal, as in horse, not bridal, as in bride. Old gold route used by horses. Years ago, we saw it marked on a map and decided to go that way to Hill End from Safala in a normal Holden sedan car. Yikes, when the country road ran out, it degenerated into a very narrow dirt track, hewn out of the mountain on one side and only an ancient rickety post and rail fence between us and damnation, really. Praying that no one would be coming in the other direction, we shoved the car into first gear, gunned it, hung on tightly, and with dirt and stones spewing in from the wheels, you should be a rider, Lynn, uh, thankfully made it to the top. It was closed for years by a landslide and only reopened recently as a four-wheel drive road. 
tell that to our Holden car. Oh, g'day, Maka. Yep. It's uh, Rowan in uh, Hui Hin in southern Thailand. Oh, Rowan, did I read a, an email of yours earlier? Yep, yep, you did, yep. All oh, right, there you go. Um, what's the time in Thailand? Uh, it's just after 5.30 in the morning. Oh, dear. You, you, <laughs> you go on. So, uh, yeah, I got up, got up specially to call you because I usually listen every week when I'm back home. But um, I'm just over here doing a, uh, a community development program with a bunch of other expats from different parts around the world. And how do you get onto that? How did that all happen? Uh, well, I just looked it up on the on the internet, and um, it's just a, a, like a volunteer based organisation. Uh, they're in, like an NGO, and here in Thailand they're called the Green Lion, and they just uh, take people. A lot of the people here are younger sort of people in their mid-20s and they're teaching at the primary schools. But I'm doing a like an environmental sort of conservation sort of program which involves uh, mangrove restoration, um, working in a, a primary school, planting out seedlings for the all the, uh, the school kids. Um, and next week we're going to be uh, giving grades three and grade six a, a talk on uh, climate change and and uh, environmental conservation sort of matters. I see. And Rowan, what's your training? Are you a teacher or? No, no, no. I'm I'm actually a, a tour guide, tour operator in the Hunter Valley. Uh huh. And, um, and so you you got wind of this and you thought that's for me. Yeah, well, just thought I wanted to uh, come and, and and have like a uh, cultural immersion and. Uh, See how the other people live, but and the, the place where we're staying is fairly uh, fairly rural, so it's out of Hui Hin, which is a, uh, a regional sort of city on the coast, um, and it's uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty different way of living. And um, but I mean, we we uh, something pretty funny we did last week was uh, we uh, were told we we're going out to the mangroves to plant some new seedlings. So we got down to the place and the, the lady who's the Thai coordinator said, said, right, take off your shoes. So everybody took off the shoes and she said, I give you socks. So she gave us socks to put on and then we started walking over to this spot in the mangroves up to our knees in mud wearing socks. <laughs> and and uh, I, had, I had the mobile on me and I thought, geez, if I slip over, I'm my mobile is going to be gone, <laughs> but we we finally got to a spot and planting out some mangrove seedlings, um, and uh, I was doing it with a, an American guy, a New Zealand guy, and a Canadian guy, and um, it was like, well, this this is you know, you, I said to myself, I wanted to do something different. This this is it. Well, there you go. Well, it sounds like you're having fun, and it's always nice to go to another culture and see what they're doing and see how they live and. All that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, you pick up lots of things there, don't you, Rowan? Oh, you do, yeah. It's, mm. it's a really uh, amazing experience. And if um, if people want to do something different and help another, uh, you know, people of another country, which are, is less developed, then something like this is, is an amazing experience to do. I mean, everybody has breakfast, lunch and dinner together and most people are staying in, like, hostels sort of... Uh, Shared rooms, 
um, and it's, it's a very well-organised sort of place. Rowan, nice to talk to you. Thanks for ringing us at 5.30 in but the morning I, from Thailand. I, I did want to know just one thing. I never got to find out what happened about that uh, that driving fine that you got when you made that illegal turn on that marathon day. Yeah, when when the roads were all closed. Um, well, look, I, I've been advised to take it to court. I don't really want to do that because I, I hear of the egregious waste of court's time for all sorts of things, but I think it was wrongful that they closed the roads yeah. and and never let anybody know um, what was going on yeah. and, and even the policemen or the people who were on these points because there was... There was barriers, roads were closed everywhere, and there was no, yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah. and nobody knew anything. So I've been advised. So I haven't paid the fine, and yeah. um, I assume I'll get a court notice to appear at court, which yeah. um, which goes against my grain. But um, um, it was yeah. really badly organised, and 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 not only the fine, the fines, you know, only one thing is five hundred bucks or something, but three, you lose three points on your driving license for. Yeah. Her, um, yeah. Anyway, so that's I'll I'll keep you informed, Ron. What, what happens oh, to me? It's good. Great, great to talk to you. And I'll I'll go and have a uh, a pad Thai. You can have them for about three dollars around here. But you don't have that for breakfast, do you? Is that for breakfast? No, no. They they have uh, some. You can have some Western food and some sort of uh, um, some other Thai food. Usually fruits or noodles or, or rice. Um, All that healthy stuff. I can't stand it. <laughs> but the beer is very cheap. Two dollars oh. a bottle. Oh really? Is it any good? No, it's very good. Good oh, beer. There, good. You, there you go. All right. Good on your own. Great to talk. Okay. See ya. See ya. Bye. Oh, g'day, Macca. It's Paula calling and I'm calling from uh Yunta mm-hmm. up in the north of South Australia. We're just on our way home from um Broken Hill. All right, what were you doing there? So we had the races yesterday. It was the Silver City Cup race meeting. Mm. And, um, and yeah, we won the cup with a horse called The Ladies' Man. The Ladies' Man won the cup, the Silver City Cup. What, what's the Silver City Cup worth? Uh, I, think, I think it was about a, a, yeah, a $20,000, $15,000 race. I, don't even, I didn't even look, to be totally honest. <laughs> and how, how long's the race? It's not like a uh, Melbourne Cup type, is it? No, it's sixteen hundred meters. That's a so mile. A the, mile. Old, the old mile, yeah. yeah. Yep. And um, my horse isn't to be confused with another horse that raced, and it actually ran second at Flemington yesterday, called Ladies' Man, and he's come over from New Zealand. And oh. um, yeah, that's a. I think it's a bay horse, and mine's a grey. Oh, I see. Um, and you train the Ladies' Man, or you own it? No, I train and yeah, part own and uh, yeah, I've got Nicola Yun in the in the car and she's a apprentice from Hong Kong and uh, she came over and uh, she's riding. She's apprentice to uh, Gary Searle in Adelaide and um, she rode him for me and went really well. So it's pretty serious stuff, the Silver City Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we all all try and get up there and uh, and support these uh, these meetings. The the committees do such a wonderful job, and um, yeah, we we come from far and wide. There's people from New South Wales, uh, from yeah, New South Wales and Victoria and everywhere um, come in come in to go to it. It was uh, it was a pretty hot weekend, but uh, we made it through. Everyone was fine, and um, yeah, we we got the cup, so we're on our way home happy. Oh, how good's that, Paula? Most of the horses would come from Adelaide. Is that right? Or 
I think, yeah, I think there was a lot of trainers from South Australia. Mm. Yeah, a few from Broken Hill and uh, from, sorry, from Port Augusta and um, and that way as well. So, yeah, just up the highway. It's not a bad run up up um, up to Broken Hill from Adelaide. So, Paula, you're a professional um, yes. trainer. You yep. do this this for a living. So, where do you, I do. Where do you run your horses at Morfittville and places like that, or? I, yeah, I go every I go everywhere. So last uh, week was a really busy week for me. So I also um, I took a horse to Mildura. I had a couple of runners in Mildura, and I won the Mallee Cup as well. So I've had a wow. really big weekend. So I won the Mallee Cup with Kay Seri, and um, and the yeah, Mallee and then Cup. I went home and then um, picked up another three horses and then come up to Broken Hill. So yeah, it's been a bit of driving this weekend. Well, that's the lot of I suppose of. Uh... A horse a trainer, isn't it? You've got to go to the race meetings and so you get on the road. Same with jockeys, I Absolutely. suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Got to go Got to go where they can win. And, um, yeah, it's really good. They're competitive. And I love these meetings. I just love going to these country meetings and, and mixing with the with the country folk. It's great. Yeah. It's Well, it's, it's nice to mix with people you probably don't see, especially when you go to a place like Broken Hill. You've never met them before. And it's always you always pick up tips and all those sort of things, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I've uh, I've been going up to Broken Hill for probably 15 or 16 years now. They're, they've got uh, two two meetings. I've got another one in March as well. And um, that one's run by St. Pat's. And um, yeah, I, I go frequent these. So I've got some good friends up there, friends that we stay with. And they're, yeah, they're beautiful people and it's a lovely town. So uh, Paula, where, yeah, where, is you, where, where are your stables? I'm based at Morfittville All right. in Adelaide. Yep. Next time I come, I'll, I'll look you up. Oh, come and have a look. I'll show you around. All right. Good on you, Paula. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Good yes, luck. Please. Good luck to Thanks, the ladies, America. man. Yeah, good on you. <laughs> See you. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.